0: Chapter Fourteen of Part Two of Elective Affinities. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Elective Affinities, Part Two, by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Chapter Fourteen. She hurried to the new house and called the surgeon and gave the child into his hands. It was carried at once to Charlotte's sleeping room and collected from a wide experience he submitted the tender body to the usual process ottilie stood by him through it all she prepared everything she fetched everything but as if she were moving in another world for the height of misfortune like the height of happiness alters the aspect of every object and it was only when after every resource had been exhausted the good man shook his head and to her questions whether there was hope first was silent and then answered with a gentle no that she left the apartment and had scarcely entered the sitting-room when she fell fainting with her face upon the carpet unable to reach the sofa at that moment charlotte was heard driving up the surgeon implored the servants to keep back and allow him to go to meet her and prepare her but he was too late while he was speaking she had entered the drawing-room she found ottilie on the ground and one of the girls of the house came running and screaming to her open-mouthed the surgeon entered at the same moment and she was informed of everything she could not at once however give up all hope she was flying upstairs to the child but the physician besought her to remain where she was he went himself to deceive her with a show of fresh exertions and she sat down upon the sofa ottilie was still lying on the ground charlotte raised her and supported her against herself and her beautiful head sank down upon her knee the kind medical man went backwards and forwards he appeared to be busy about the child his real care was for the ladies and so came on midnight and the stillness grew more and more deathly charlotte did not try to conceal from herself any longer that her child would never return to life again she desired to see it now it had been wrapped up in warm woolen coverings and it was brought down as it was lying in its cot which was placed at her side on the sofa the little face was uncovered and there it lay in its calm sweet beauty the report of the accident soon spread through the village every one was roused and the story reached the hotel the major hurried up the well-known road he went round and round the house at last he met a servant who was going to one of the outbuildings to fetch something he learnt from him in what state things were and desired him to tell the surgeon that he was there the latter came out not a little surprised at the appearance of his old patron he told him exactly what had happened and undertook to prepare charlotte to see him he then went in began some conversation to distract her attention and led her imagination from one object to another till at last he brought it to rest upon her friend and the depth of feeling and of sympathy which would surely be called out in him from the imaginative she was brought at once to the real enough she was informed that he was at the door that he knew everything and desired to be admitted the major entered charlotte received him with a miserable smile he stood before her she lifted off the green silk covering under which the body was lying and by the dim light of a taper he saw before him not without a secret shudder the stiffened image of himself. Charlotte pointed to a chair, and there they sat opposite to one another without speaking through the night. Otterley was still lying motionless on Charlotte's knee. She breathed softly and slept, or seemed to sleep. The morning dawned, the lights went out, the two friends appeared to awake out of a heavy dream. Charlotte looked towards the major and said quietly, Tell me through what circumstances you have been brought hither to take part in this morning scene. The present is not a time, the major answered, in the same low tone as that in which charlotte had spoken for fear lest she might disturb otterley this is not a time and this is not a place for reserve the condition in which i find you is so fearful that even the earnest matter on which i am here loses its importance by the side of it he then informed her quite calmly and simply of the object of his mission in so far as he was the ambassador of edward of the object of his coming in so far as his own free will and his own interests were concerned in it he laid both before her delicately but uprightly charlotte listened quietly and showed neither surprise nor unwillingness as soon as the major had finished she replied in a voice so light that to catch her words he was obliged to draw his chair closer to her in such a case as this i have never before found myself but in similar cases i have always said to myself how will it be to-morrow i feel very clearly that the fate of many persons is now in my hands and what i have to do is soon said without scruple or hesitation i consent to this separation. i ought to have made up my mind to it before by my unwillingness and reluctance i have destroyed my child there are certain things on which destiny obstinately insists in vain may reason may virtue may duty may all holy feelings place themselves in its way something shall be done which to it seems good and which to us seems not good and it forces its own way through at last let us conduct ourselves as we will and indeed what am i saying it is but my own desire my own purpose against which i acted so unthinkingly which destiny is again bringing in my way did i not long ago in my thoughts design edward and ottilie for one another did i not myself labour to bring them together and you my friend you yourself were an accomplice in my plot why why could i not distinguish mere man's obstinacy from real love why did i accept his hand when i could have made him happy as a friend and when another could have made him happy as a wife and now look here on this unhappy slumberer i tremble for the moment when she will recover out of this half-death sleep into consciousness how can she endure to live how shall she ever console herself if she may not hope to make good that to edward of which as the instrument of the most wonderful destiny she has deprived him and she can make it all good again by the passion by the devotion with which she loves him if love be able to bear all things it is able to do yet more it can restore all things of myself at such a moment i may not think do you go quietly away my dear major say to edward that i consent to the separation that i leave it to him to you and to mittler to settle whatever is to be done i have no anxiety for my own future condition it may be what it will it is nothing to me i will subscribe whatever papers submitted to me only he must not require me to join actively i cannot have to think about it or give advice the major rose to go she stretched out her hand to him across otterley He pressed it to his lips and whispered gently, "'And for myself? May I hope anything?' "'Do not ask me now,' replied Charlotte. "'I will tell you another time. We have not deserved to be miserable, but neither can we say that we have deserved to be happy together.' The Major left her and went, feeling for Charlotte to the bottom of his heart, but not being able to be sorry for the fate of the poor child. Such an offering seemed necessary to him for their general happiness.' he pictured ottilie to himself with a child of her own in her arms as the most perfect compensation for the one of which she had deprived edward he pictured himself with his own son on his knee who should have better right to resemble him than the one which was departed with such flattering hopes and fancies passing through his mind he returned to the hotel and on his way back he met edward who had been waiting for him the whole night through in the open air since neither rocket nor report of cannon would bring him news of the successful issue of his undertaking he had already heard of the misfortune and he too instead of being sorry for the poor creature regarded what had befallen it without being exactly ready to confess it to himself as a convenient accident through which the only impediment in the way of his happiness was at once removed the major at once informed him of his wife's resolution and he therefore easily allowed himself to be prevailed upon to return again with him to the village and from thence to go for a while to the little town where they would consider what was next to be done and make their arrangements after the major had left her charlotte sat on buried in her own reflections but it was only for a few minutes ottilie suddenly raised herself on her lap and looked full with her large eyes in her friend's face then she got up from off the ground and stood upright before her this is the second time began the noble girl with an irresistible solemnity of manner this is the second time that the same thing has happened to me You once said to me that similar things often befall people more than once in their lives in a similar way and if they do it is always at important moments i now find that what you said is true and i have to make a confession to you shortly after my mother's death when i was a very little child i was sitting one day on a footstool close to you you were on the sofa as you are at this moment and my head rested on your knees i was not asleep i was not awake i was in a trance i knew everything which was passing about me i heard every word which was said with the greatest distinctness and yet i could not stir i could not speak and if i had wished it i could not have given a hint that i was conscious on that occasion you were speaking about me to one of your friends you were commiserating my fate left as i was a poor orphan in the world you described my dependent position and how unfortunate a future was before me unless some very happy star watched over me i understood well what you said i saw perhaps too clearly what you appeared to hope of me and what you thought i ought to do i made rules to myself according to such limited insight as i had and by these i have long lived by these at the time when you so kindly took charge of me and had me with you in your home i regulated whatever i did and whatever i left undone but i have wandered out of my course i have broken my rules i have lost the very power of feeling them and now after a dreadful occurrence you have again made clear to me my situation which is more pitiable than the first while lying in a half torpor on your lap i have again as if out of another world heard every syllable which you uttered i know from you how all is with me i shudder at the thought of myself but again as i did then in my half-sleep of death i have marked out my new path for myself i am determined as i was before and what i have determined i must tell you at once i will never be edward's wife in a terrible manner god has opened my eyes to see the sin in which i was entangled i will atone for it and let no one think to move me from my purpose it is by this my dearest kindest friend that you must govern your own conduct "'Send for the Major to come back to you. "'Write to him that no steps must be taken. "'It made me miserable that I could not stir or speak when he went. "'I tried to rise. "'I tried to cry out. "'But why did you let him leave you with such unlawful hopes?' "'Charlotte saw Ottilie's condition, and she felt for it. "'But she hoped that by time and persuasion she might be able to prevail upon her. "'On her uttering a few words, however, which pointed to a future, "'to a time when her sufferings would be alleviated "'and when there might be better room for hope. "'No!' Ottilie cried with vehemence do not endeavour to move me do not seek to deceive me at the moment at which i learn that you have consented to the separation in that same lake i will expiate my errors and my crimes chapter